Good morning. You are listening to KPOO San Francisco 89.5 and on the World Wide Web at KPOO.com. This is Prison Focus Radio. Slavery is back. In fact, it was never abolished. The 13th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution abolished slavery, except in prison. At the current rate of incarceration, by the year 2010, the majority of all African-American men between 18 and 40 will be in prison. The state as their captor. It's going to take people who are willing to fight, not people who want to negotiate with the enemy.
Good morning, beautiful people. I want to thank you for joining me here on Prison Focus Radio on KPOO San Francisco 89.5. I am your host, Nube Brown, and we are going to be in conversation with Daniel Green, who um, is serving a life sentence in a North Carolina prison. Uh, He is innocent of the murder of Michael Jordan's father, James Jordan. He did write an article that uh, the San Francisco Bayview printed in this month's uh, newspaper, although you will hear me say, I think, last month in January. So I'm making that correction now. And I just want to remind everyone, first, that here we come together in a place of love, revolutionary love. What is taking place within our prisons is a form of genocide. It is a continued crime against humanity. I don't want that to deter you. I want to, I hope that it motivates you to continually move forward. To know that, as Angela Davis said, freedom is a constant struggle. And everything that is taking place within our prisons and our prisoners and their families are the canaries in the coal mine of what is happening in this country and We must make a commitment to continue in that struggle um, against all things that are denying us our freedom, our capacity uh, to be self-determined and free to live our most beautiful life. All right, so we are going to listen to my conversation with Daniel Green, author of Find the Nigger Guilty, which you can find, the article that you can find in the February issue of the San Francisco Bayview National Black Newspaper. Daniel Green is serving a life sentence in a North Carolina prison for the murder of James Jordan, the father of Michael Jordan, a crime that he did not, a murder that he did not commit. All right, here we go. All right, good morning, everyone. I have here as my guest with me this morning, Daniel Green. And if you have been listening or uh, reading the San Francisco Bayview, you may have uh, seen his article um, in last month's newspaper. I believe it was in January. uh, Find the nigger guilty. So um, he is here with us to give us an update around what is happening with this case. Good morning, Daniel Green. Oh, good morning. Good morning. How y'all doing? Good. How are you feeling this morning? Uh, I'm good. I'm blessed. Just, uh, um, thank you, you know, for, for allowing me to, um, to have this platform. Uh, you know, it's an honor and it's a privilege. All right. Fantastic. Of course, this is what we are here for. So, yes, why don't you, um, why don't you go ahead and first, and for those listeners and, and uh, that may not have read your the article uh, in the newspaper, why don't you just give us a brief uh, background around who you are and uh, and uh, what this uh, what the art yeah who you are and what the article was about basically. Okay, um, so um, I believe it was last year. Um, you know, I wrote this article um, and uh, submitted it to the Bayview. Um, and the reason why, you know, um, you know, I titled it "Kill the Nigger." That's actually a quote, um, direct quote from the transcript of my trial. 
from a discussion that one of the jurors was overheard having uh, on the phone. Um, there was also another situation during my trial where this guy who, you know, purportedly, and I can't say for certain, but purportedly what they were saying in the courtroom uh, in chambers, in the judge's chambers, this guy was the district attorney's cousin. Uh, he uh, kind of snaked his way into the presence of one of the jurors, um, found that they had like a common bond, you know, as far as, I guess, racism being their common bond. Um, and, you know, he started grooming her. Uh, fortunately, somebody figured out what was going on, and we did get her removed from the jury. But uh, that's where that title comes from. Uh, and the reason why I titled it that was because, um, you know, for years I've been telling people about the racism that was involved in my trial. And, of course, you know, you have a lot of people that will accuse you of trying to play like a race card or as if you're trying to evade the, like, substantive issue, which the really only issue which should have been, you know, did I kill James Jordan, you know, which is Michael Jordan's father. That's why this is a high-profile case. And I didn't. Um, so people will then say, well, because it was Michael Jordan's daddy, you know you're going to get found guilty. Like, you have no choice to win in anything anywhere. And I and that's that should, you know, that should be a problem for everybody because if we have a system that favors certain people, um, it works, you know, different for other people. It's not a system of law. What we have is that um, we have a situation where, you know, we have uh, systems of, of oppression, uh, of, you know, genocide, of control that have been put in place and have been labeled law in order to make us submit to it. You understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So that's why I named it. You know, I wanted to, I wanted, I like, did it for shock value. And I also did it because during that same time, uh, the prosecutor in my case, his name is uh, Johnson Britt, Luther Johnson Britt III, he had retired. And the last picture that he chose to take was a picture in front of a Confederate soldier statue, which you guys, you know, did print, and I thank you for that. Um, the reason why that's significant is because, you know, during my trial, and I was a kid, you know, going to court back and forth, you know, I kept telling different people, reporters, lawyers, you know, officers, like, why am I going to court guarded by a Confederate soldier statue? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, that doesn't seem wrong to y'all. And, and people grow up. I remember the first time I saw that statue as a kid, it, you know, it was exciting. Like, wow, that's, that's pretty, you know, not mm-hmm. knowing what it is. And then when I moved away and came back and saw it, realizing what it was, it was just, it was like utterly demoralizing, you know, because it just told me, like how these people really felt about me, how these, these people that built this this town, this city, this county, this state, this nation, how they really felt about me. Man, this man could have took a picture, the prosecutor, Johnson Brett, he could have taken a picture anywhere. He could have taken a picture in the courtroom. He could have taken a picture in the bar, beside the bar. He could have taken a picture, you know, um, you know, you know, besides some law books, he could have taken a picture with a gavel in his hand. I know he has political aspirations uh, of when they become a uh, senator like his father was. He could have taken a picture of the senator, but he chose to use as the capstone on his career a photograph of him posing in front of a Confederate soldier statue built in 1865. Uh, give us, uh, tell us where you are in um yeah, at at this stage now, you 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 are. You, how long have you been in prison? Uh, what happened with your co-defendant? 
Okay. Yeah, let's start with that. Yeah, all right. So, you know, I was I was in nineteen uh ninety three I was arrested for this charge. I was convicted in nineteen ninety six. Um in nineteen ninety eight, you know, uh the appeal that was filed uh was denied uh by two judges. One judge voted in my favor, one two of them voted to deny on the basis that they said that basically it was basically it was like a situation where um they're saying, well, if we were the trial judge, we would have done differently than what he did. But because he was the trial judge, we're going to respect his 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 authority because he was the one that was right there at the case. But if but if we were him, we would have, we would not have you know we would have done done differently. Like they would not have been able to use my interrogation against me, which was what that was based on. Um, right now, uh, like I said, you know, back in 2010, my case came back up in the news because it had been found out that. The FBI, you know, had been um, uh, uh, fabricating forensic evidence, forensic serology evidence, which is blood evidence. So, you know, for all the people out there that watch, like, shows like CSI, where they spray the stuff on, you know, on the on the scene, a crime scene, and it mm-hmm. lights up if it's blood, that's that's not real science. That was never real science. But mm-hmm. like I said, you know, if you couldn't pay, then then you then you would get, like, they would not challenge it. And so um, that was exposed, you know, like um, all over the, you know, all over the country. It started with a guy named Fred, Fred Whitehurst. Uh, he exposed it. It trickled down. It took about 10, 15 years to trickle down to North Carolina through a case. A guy named Greg Taylor, who was represented by my um, uh, lawyer, by, by my current lawyer, Christine Moomer, and um, and some other lawyers. Um, you know, it was exposed that the SBI, North Carolina State Bureau of Investigation. Uh, had been engaged in uh, mistraining officers um, and, and also just strictly, I mean, just lying in court. Um, mm-hmm. If you have two or three people, like in my situation, I'm going to keep it specific to my case, um, you have my co-defendant, who was the other guy charged with me, He was he's saying this is what happened. And nobody really trusts him because, of course, he's charged with it as well, so how can you really trust him? So what they do is that they bring in the scientific experts to say, well, hey, we found blood in the car, and where we found his blood, it substantiates what Larry Demery said. But what they did, what you don't know is that Larry Demery never said that, that it was the police that wrote that down for him. You understand what I'm saying? Like when he was interrogated and they started writing down his statement, they wrote in his statement that, um, like about where the blood, where he said that he saw blood at. And then by the time that he got to trial, which was two and a half years later, after they finished coaching him, then it was, yeah, I found blood here and I wiped it up and that's why y'all couldn't find like it was basically his whole his whole narrative, his whole story was designed to fit in with the so called expert testimony, which people assume to be objective because they're science and they're the experts and, you know, legitimacy is a form of power. You know what I'm saying? They have the legitimacy that I don't have or that he doesn't have. So, right. um, that's what happened. So in 2010, when that came out, my case was one of the is one of the cases that was on the list, and um, somebody apparently paid, um, swung their weight around or whatever. They got my name taken off the list. It still doesn't change what happened though. You see what I'm saying? So um, that's when you know I had I had already been filing things, trying to get in the court. I already had lawyers at that time, but they wasn't really doing anything. Like I think my lawyer was just overwhelmed. But I just really have to be honest with you. You know, uh, most of the lawyers I've had since I've been on this case have been from UNC Chapel Hill. Of course, everybody knows that Michael Jordan is like, you know, he's he's he he's the face. You know, like he's the most famous person to ever come out of UNC Chapel Hill. 
uh, he's heavily invested in the UNC Chapel Hill. And so when you have a lawyer that's representing me, I don't bring anything to the table. You know, I'm just a guy trying to get out of prison versus somebody who can throw a case a certain way or or misinterpret it a certain way, and they can secure their position for the rest of their life because UNC Chapel Hill, pretty much, you know, uh, every facet of North Carolina government um, and, you know, business, you know, section, uh, private section, everything is pretty much governed by UNC Chapel Hill. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, and my lawyer just didn't, for whatever reason, he was just, um, I don't know, he just didn't do anything. I mean, he didn't do what he was supposed to do. I think he, he could have been trying to get caught up with things. I'm going to be honest with you. He actually had a had an inaccurate transcript for like three or four years. The first three or four years, he had an inaccurate transcript. And thanks to y'all publishing the story, like that's when I found out that the version of the transcript that was sold online by the stenographers that that, that did my case by the court reporters, that that's a false transcript. It's not It's not accurate. Because I was talking to a guy, he's been on this case for like 12, 13 years just investigating it on his own. He's been extremely helpful to me. His name is Rick Person. And Rick was like, listen, Daniel, you know, I read the article, but, you know, I don't see in your transcript where it says anything about killing niggas. I don't see that, bro. And I was like, what do you mean? He said it's not in there, like on the page number that you referenced. And so what he did is that he went back and got his transcript. I got my transcript. I said, it's definitely, I mean, brother, it's definitely there. So my attorney then sent him the, the transcript that she has. And, of course, it was, you know, it's there. It's just like I said it was. What happened was that he secured his transcript directly during or after my trial. You understand what I'm saying? So what they did is that they sold the rights to my trial and, and, and the transcript itself. They sold it to the public, which resulted in everybody, media included, even my own lawyers, not even having a, 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 a like accurate transcript because they either didn't record certain things that they chose to sell to the public or they edited it out. I don't know which one, but you know it has to be one of them, right? So that's what we so that's so it's that serious. When I say when I use the term and I talk about fa- the fabrication of, of like evidence, I'm not talking about somebody just up there telling like a white lie. You know what I'm saying? I'm talking about like actual court documents that have been submitted in the court that have been used to make rulings on in the past. So right now where we at is um that the like judge denied an evidentiary hearing back in 2018. Um, my attorney says, you know, that he denied this evidentiary hearing because of an interview that I was going to do with a lady from NBC. Her name is Tammy Leitner, uh, or maybe it's pronounced Leitner. It's L-E-I-T-N-E-R. And the interview that I was going to do with her was talking about how my case was rigged and how my attorney, my public defender, huh? Huh? Okay. Well, I mean, they in there. I can't, I mean, yeah, yeah. I'll hold it for a second. I'll be back. Hey, listen, no, I'm sorry, New Way. Hold on, right. You hold the phone right? Let me just see what's going on. The police is in my cell. I quit. It messes up last Hold on a second. Well, did you hear that? Yeah, no, he just stepped to his room. He's coming oh. right there. Okay, yes, I'm just, uh, we're we're still recording, and I find it interesting that he has to step away because uh, the police are in his cell. That's yeah, something that we yeah. hear about quite often, unfortunately. No, nah, they don't. Yeah, I'm his friend in here. I'm one of his best friends, so. All right, how you doing? I'm all right. I'm Afro. Okay, nice to meet you, Afro. I'm Nube. Say it again? 
My name is Nube. Okay, okay. How you doing, ma'am? Yes, I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. I'm I'm glad you're a friend. It's always nice yeah, to know yeah. that uh, somebody is, uh, each of you probably got each other's back. That's good. That's a fact. I got to. Here he is right here. All right. You take care, Afro. All right, thank you, bro. All right, I'm back. Yeah, they down there. They haven't messed with me for for three months now. All of a sudden, so they're doing that because of this. I'm doing the interview. Okay, so you're okay. This is something routine. You're not. They're not in there. Just no. It's definitely out of the ordinary. No, they. It's definitely mm-hmm. out of the ordinary. It's the same officer mm-hmm. sergeant just lied on me uh, two months ago on video uh, to write me up for a lie. It was. I mean, it was on a video. They threw out one of the charges. Because it was on a video that they could see that he was lying, but then he said that I that I, I used profanity and they let it and they let that one stick. So now it's definitely retaliation. So they they're definitely listening to you monitoring my phone call. Um, right. They're illegally tapping my phone call. So you know, but I'm used to it though. Wow. Yeah. So that's that that that's something as well. The the retaliation you must have been uh, subjected to since you have been fighting fighting this case. What's the what is the uh, sentence that you received for well, so being accused I, of killing Michael Jordan's father, James Jordan? I received a life sentence. I was given a life sentence, which underneath the law that I was sentenced under, meaning you had to do 20 years before you came up for parole. The judge in my case, which is the judge that I quoted uh, in the article, the name is Judge Weeks. He ran my sentence consecutive, meaning that I had to serve 20 years off the life sentence, and then I have to serve like a minimum of three years off the one sentence, another sentence, before I would come up for parole. So that's why the other guy came up for parole first. But here's the thing. The other guy's plea bargain was illegal, but he testified against me. So what happened was that they gave him a state, told the jury that he did not have any type of illegal plea bargain. Once he got to prison, what the state did is because through the computer system, they automatically ran his sentence consecutive, meaning that, he had a life sentence plus 10 years plus 40 years. Now, the thing about his 40 years is that actually his 40 years was 260 years worth of other charges. This man has 260 years worth of, you know what I'm saying, worth of charges more than I have. The only, the only charges I have is charges I have with him. He has charges preceding me. You understand what I'm saying? Like he has armed robbery, um, assault charges. That happened like in the previous year or the year before James Jordan was actually murdered. They had a warrant out for his uh, for him to be locked up, but they never executed it. They knew where he was at the whole time. We were stopped inside of that Lexus car, which was James Jordan's car, two days uh, after he was probably murdered. You understand what I'm saying? And they could have said, "Well, hey, you know, this is a car. You don't have registration. Like this is your, this is not your name." And they let us go. I don't know what he said to the police, but they let us go. And he was basically involved in moving drugs uh, in part of a drug ring that belonged to the police. You follow mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's pretty much like, you know, that's what was going on with that situation is that you have a situation where this man... You have 60 seconds remaining. James Jordan would not be dead right now if Larry Demery had not been showed favoritism by the police. I'm sure it's not lost on any of you listening here, the multiple tragedies that are taking place at the same time. Um, But I also want to point out that it is four in the morning when uh, Daniel Green and I are having this interview, and I know you can also hear the change 
in his tone um, as we continue the conversation while he is being retaliated against by the police being in his cell and basically ransacking it and probably taking his property. Okay. All right, how, how you doing over there? Yeah, I'm good. Okay. All right, let's go ahead and um, let's let folks know uh, where your case stands now. Um, uh, Larry Demery, your, your co-defendant, is now up for parole. And no, he's already received parole. Oh, sorry, he, okay. He's already received parole. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. the thing. And let me explain to you what's going on. Um, so this is what happened is that they gave him a MAP contract this year. And his MAP contract, they're saying, they're telling the public that they had to give him the MAP contract because he was 17 at the time. Uh, can, there's a guy. Can I just interrupt you for one second and let us uh-huh. know what the what a MAP contract is? Okay. Uh, just briefly so what, what a MAP. map. Mm-hmm. Okay. So this is something. First of all, it's only there's only applied to people who've been in prison since um, before 1994, like we mm-hmm. have. And what it is is that a MAP contract is basically okay. If you don't get any write-ups for two or three years, then we will release you. You will be released. The reason why you know my my, my attorney says you know Christine says that they gave him this map was because they're trying to use him as leverage and because and they're rewarding him for not talking about the case. You know, she told me that what they want from me is they want me to shut up. So this mm-hmm. is what they're telling me, nigga, we're going to lock you up, we're going to take you from your family, we're going to burn your family house down to, like, to, 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 uh, to like you know, uh, to, like, uh, get rid of, of all the evidence that you had of this messed up trial that, that we put you through, and we want you to shut up, nigga. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. We want you to voluntarily shut up, nigga. You see what I'm saying? This is what they're doing mm-hmm. just now. That's why they just came out of my cell. That's why they just went in my cell and ransacked my cell and took some of my property while I wasn't present. You follow what I'm saying? Yeah. That's what they this is this is that's why I'm speaking to y'all. And my lawyers, like I said, she's basically saying, Well, you should be you know, you should be quiet. No, you should apply the law as my lawyer. If you as a lawyer, if you don't have confidence enough, if you don't have confidence enough to apply blatant abuses of the law, blatant violations of the law, what does that say about this system? Right. What wow, so you're really system? putting yourself out there. You're really willing to take the hit for for real justice is what you're saying. Exactly, and I want people to understand what's going on. I really want people to understand, you know, like it's not, it's not benefiting me. This is not benefiting Danny Green. You know, it's not benefiting me that for 27 years, you know, that I've sat there and I've bent over backwards, that I've kept my mouth shut about certain things about this case in order to protect Michael Jordan's and their reputation because I know that these people are trying to blackmail this brother. You see what I'm saying? I know they're trying to blackmail him, you know, and what they're doing is that they're trying to use me as the leverage. Is that They're using this case as, okay, Michael Jordan, if you don't do this, we're going to put this out there. Every time somebody starts investigating this case or writing an article about Michael Jordan, all of a sudden, these people get money, these people get promotions, and all of a sudden now they're your best friend. You know, Michael Jordan just donated hundreds of millions of dollars, and this is a tax write-off, but he just donated hundreds of millions of dollars to uh, Novant Health. Novant Health is the main sponsor and the main advertiser for, uh, for like a lot of, of these local television stations. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? So it's not, you know what I'm saying? So when it's like, this man killed your father. You know what I'm saying? Larry Gimmery killed this man's father, you know? And 
because he's because he's being quiet, because he says what these people tell him to say and get up on the stand under oath and tell the lies they tell him to say to the point that even the district attorney said in his closing argument, he said, Larry Demery got up here and buried his soul. You understand? He said he buried his soul. Wow. Right, so in that that, that's why that's the difference. That's why I'm being treated different. It ain't just about me being black. But what they do is that they use the, the whole racial stereotypes that people already have to make it easier and to justify what they're doing. So uh, I'm not going to, I don't know, like I said, in, in, at the end of the day, I understand what the consequences are. You know, I understand what the consequences are because I'm a student of, like, history. You know, I understand that when people speak out, that people, they, 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 they're they going to silence you one way or another. You know, the only reason that they haven't probably haven't killed me yet is because they feel like, okay, well, if we kill them now, then it's gonna. Then we can't make any more money off of this case. Hmm. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. We can't yeah. have nothing because as long as they have this case, it's like we can use this case as a way to keep to keep this hanging over Michael Jordan's head. We can make all these allegations that are unsubstantiated. You know what I'm saying? Or maybe some. I don't even know. But the thing is, is that, and that's one thing I'm definitely gonna talk about soon, is exactly what the nature of the allegations that these people have been trying to use against this brother, because. The thing is, is that they don't care about Danny Green as an individual. They don't care about my mother. They don't care about my sister. You know what I'm saying? My mother and my sister have insomnia because of this case. You see what I'm saying? That means yeah. that my mother and my sister for the last 30 years have been suffering separation anxiety and can't even sleep at night. Do you think I give a damn about what somebody says about me trying to shut me up? Yeah, I hear you. We got to speak with love, and that's the only thing about it. And, and it may sound harsh, and the way I speak is harsh. And people say, oh, brother, you, sometimes you get so hard when you speak. Okay, so if we was playing, you know, if we was playing baseball, and I'm the baseball coach or whatever, manager, whoever the guy is in the, in the uh, dugout, dugout and, and, and the player gets a bad call, and I lose my mind and take it back and break it, that's acceptable. But it's not acceptable for me to be indignant about what I've been through. And I'm sitting here telling you that, yo, I've been locked up for 28 years for something I did not do. 28 years. And not only that, I know these people know I didn't do it. Right. Right, and then they're keeping you in, like you said, uh, for their benefit. And, yeah, just for their benefit. It's another way to exploit you and uh, uh, They're trying to exploit you. They're trying to exploit you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they're trying to exploit you, yeah. So we got to look at that, and we got to start protecting each other. Like, we got to really start, if people stop saying, oh, well, because here's the thing, and we were talking about this the other day, like, you know, some people, like, wanted Michael Jordan to be on the front line and marching and all this other stuff, like, years ago. This brother is a billion-dollar industry. You see what I'm saying? See, this is where, this is where strategical thinking come in. Why would you want him doing that when he, he can bring millions of dollars to a health care center? which I have no objection to. You know what I'm saying? Like, you can bring millions of millions that you can fundamentally help people, save people's lives. That brother doesn't need to be on the front lines. Brothers like me who don't have any children, you know what I'm saying? We're the ones that need to be on the front line because guess what? Something happened to me, it's okay. There's nobody who's going to, there's no child that's going to grow up, that's going to end up in prison, that's going to that's gonna go without, you know what I'm saying? I don't have a wife, that's not going to happen. You have a brother like that, you know what I'm saying? If they stop his ability to, to like, do what he's doing, that means you're potentially missing millions of dollars that it takes to really, you know what I'm saying, to really keep and advance this movement. You don't have to see it. He don't have to sign autographs, you know what I'm saying, for that. And that's what, we have to have, have more love and compassion and understanding for people. You see what I'm saying? Because 
God moves through culture. That's what I was saying the other day. God moves through culture. God moves through art as well. You know, art can, can say things and change things and touch people in a way that facts can't. You see what I'm saying? That raw data can't. So if this brother, like I said, at me in third grade, that gave me a sense of, um, of, of you know, pride, well, I had no reason to have a sense of pride before. You know how that, that, that's part of the reason I am who I am right now? That a person may look at me and say, man, this nigga, he just don't know how to, he don't know how to lay down. You know, he needs to just shut up. I've seen this same dude, you know what I'm saying, go on court and play sick. Ball, ball until you fall, leave it all on the court. So that's the same type of attitude that I have. And that came from the way that I grew up. And that's one of the things that I did pick up from him, even though I can't tell you what his point average was. And before this case happened, I, I like, couldn't tell you what his position was. Couldn't tell you no position on a, on a, on a like, basketball team except for center. You see what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. I just think that, like, I can't, you know, I, I'm not trying to be a, a politician. I'm not trying to be a diplomat. I'm not trying to be manipulative and say, okay, let me get up here and speak in a certain way and, and let me talk a certain way and let me act a certain way so you will set me free. You know what I'm saying? If you feel like that, you, that I'm supposed to stay in prison because of who I am, then that's a commentary on this society and our justice system. That's not a commentary on me. That has nothing to do with me. All the lies that's been told has nothing to do with me, sister. All right. If you are just tuning in, this is Prison Focus Radio, and I am your host, Nube Brown. I've been in conversation with Daniel Green. He is serving a life sentence for a crime that he did not commit against the murder of Michael Jordan's father, James Jordan. We are going to take a quick musical break, and then we will come back with the rest of my conversation with Daniel Green.
unfortunately, the last thing that we were saying is that, um, yeah, there there are other lives that are being that are being broken here, and that is is such a travesty in and of it of itself. And and you're right, um, you know, uh, the 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 retaliation for speaking out is of course what you know Malik is going through, and and how that affects our our relationship and our ability to move forward uh, and yeah. is, uh, is compromised. It really is. And I think people really need to uh, to hear that and hear that heart because that um, that is just such the deeper issue about what it means when you uh, take people from the community, take people away from their families, break up the families, and um, essentially abuse them. Um, uh, you know, really, what that does, is, and uh, the the damage and the weakening of the of the family and thus the community, and it it feels deliberate. It feels by design. I think it is, in a sense, by design. I think it's a vestige of the how this this country started, and you and I have talked about this before. Um, but before we go, you know, continue into that, I I would like for you to just let us know because we're going to wrap this up here. Um, do Are you going to get this hearing? I mean, you know, I don't really see. I mean, like I said, that's supposed to be the purpose of this, uh, one of the goals of the documentary, the, the Amazon documentary that's coming out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like I said, I'm going to be honest with you, just by me doing this interview, that could, that could throw all that out the window. Um, but the thing is, is that, you know, I think certain things that we that we do are just done to show like the nature of something. Like you know, like I, I studied the life of Christ. I'm gonna be honest with you. The, the reason, like I was raised Muslim, right, and mm-hmm. uh, grew up Muslim. You know, what I'm saying for years. You know, before I came to prison, this wasn't like a jailhouse religion thing or whatever. And I practiced my religion like I did what I was supposed to do. I help people. You know, you have to perform charity, act for charity every day. You know, I pray. You know, but I made very bad decisions, and I. You know, and I never want to, and in everything that I say, I never want anybody to ever think or feel like, okay, this dude is, like, not showing remorse for what he did. I, I definitely, you know, in every shape, form, or fashion, every way that I can imagine, you know, I've tried to express my remorse, you know, to the Jordan family and to my community because I did help cover up this man's murder. You know, I, I didn't know who it was. Uh, I thought it was a young guy that was, you know, involved in the game. And you know how, like, there's different rules. Like, you know, it's like, okay, if this person is somebody that's moving drugs and he's going to try to do something to my friend and my friend kills him, then I just came out of prison for a wrongful conviction where I was actually defending myself. And that's been proven. You know, the courts acknowledge that I overturned my case. So this is my friend. i got to protect my friend. My friend lives with me. He lives with me and my family. A threat to my friend is a, is a threat to my family. You know what, mm-hmm. what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. it's like, you know, but I didn't. But I did. I just really didn't know. I didn't. I you know. I just didn't even have the ability to even like think about the consequences. You know, so I didn't think about. Of the course, right? Like, it's okay, not well, like you're. Yeah, of course. It's not something I've ever encountered before. So it's like, okay, mm-hmm. we're here. He's like, okay, well, let's do this. Let's, let's I'm gonna move it, and then we actually end up going like miles and miles. You know, to really where he worked at. It's like it's it's something that I still don't know about this case, um, and I can't figure it out because I'm here. But you know, I, I never want nobody to think that like you know, I, I've you know, I'm I'm deeply, deeply, deeply sorry for what I did because you know I'm, I'm going through that now. The same way that I helped cover up, 
you know, um, James Jordan's murder is the same way that I'm experiencing, you know, my death. This is a civil death, you know, when you're locked up like this, being covered up. You see what I'm saying? And that's mm-hmm. that maybe that's the karma aspect to it. I can just be honest and say I just didn't think about it. I didn't. I can't say I didn't know what I was doing. I knew what I was doing based on what I was told, but what I was told wasn't true. And that's where my that's where my that's where my accountability stops at because I, I didn't know the truth. And the person that did know the truth, like I said, he's the one that's getting ready to go home, just because he he uh, cooperated and said what these people wanted him to say. Um, so I definitely, like I said, I never want anybody to think that. I'm, I'm, I'm definitely deeply sorry for that. I think maybe that's one of the things that compels me because it's like, okay, you know what? Y'all going to give me this life sentence because, you know, supposedly what the justification is because I didn't, because I didn't tell the truth, you know what I'm saying, to y'all, you know, or I didn't go do this. So now, guess what? So I'm, I'm going to give it to y'all every time. Do you feel what I'm saying? Whether, you know, yeah, y'all do something wrong, y'all do something illegal, I'm going to speak about it. You know what I'm saying? You do something illegal with somebody in here, I'm going to speak about it. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And, you know, you basically made me. You made me who I am. This is who I am because you made me to this person. It's, it's not a bad thing, you know. Uh, but I just want to say that I just want, you know, just you and everybody else, you know what I'm saying, encourage y'all because, like I said, you know, I, I, I lost somebody I love very deeply, you know what I'm saying. I've lost family members. Um, I have, you know, people that, you know, like basically when you're taking that young you don't even have connections, really genuine connections to people, right? And what happens is that, you know, like the natural the natural uh, progression of life is that as you reach a certain age, you know, uh, become a, like, grown person, that your life takes you, and, and that bond is kind of, you know, broken. Yeah, you come through for the holidays, hopefully you supported your family, but when you take a child and you lock them up, and you got to think about it, I was taken away from my mother when I was 16. Like, I was first locked up when I was 16, for a conviction that North Carolina has acknowledged was a wrongful conviction. You see what I'm saying? And yeah, so being taken from my family at that early age, it just it just messed up my family. It's just it really like on the on the heels of everything else, on the heels of my uncles being murdered, on the heels of my grandfather, you know, who my my grandfather had a stroke and, and lost the ability to speak. And my grandfather mm-hmm. was like I am now, but the thing is is that my grandfather he he was he would take out his stuff on his family. Like he would not not like I've never seen him beat like my grandmother or nothing like that, you know, which was his wife. But just the way that he acted. Because he went out into the world, he was not treated as a man. So he right. overemphasized that role of what he thought a man should be at home. And what happened was because he held so much inside, it killed it, it basically gave him a stroke. You know, right. the depression. I'm like, man, y'all ain't gonna give me no high blood pressure. Kill me from being stressed out because I'm trying to internalize and hold all this stuff in, you know what I mean? I'm going to let it out. You know what I'm saying? Like I said, my grandfather spent the last five or six years on his back, paralyzed on one side, and the only thing he could say was mama. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, this is real-life stuff, you know, and like I said, I salute you, you know what I'm saying, for, you know what I'm saying, like I said, just the way that you spoke about, you know, uh, your uh, your fiancé about Malik, that was like, wow, because you know how many people that, and locked up and have people that love them but that are scared to stand by them publicly because of the stigma that's attached to prison. Like they like they like they, they, they are do this stuff to us, then they attach the stigma to us to undermine our support. Right. You know what I'm so saying? So I, I, I encourage Yeah, I encourage you to stand, like I said, man, you know, just everybody, you know, support your loved one. More than anything else, I would say that that's what like we need that. 
we need that because, like I said, I know I've been years where I've never even seen a, a person on a visitation. I didn't know where my mother was at. I didn't know, you know what I'm saying, what type of condition she was in. didn't know where my sister was at. only thing I was doing was hearing stuff from guys that got locked up that was just, you know, that you have to live with. So, you know, it's, it's like and we leave our women vulnerable. Like, you know, like I left my sister vulnerable when I was locked up at 16 because my sister didn't have a father. I was my sister's father pretty much. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so because she was out there vulnerable, like she got taken advantage of. By, you know what I'm saying, niggas. And I'm going to use that term because that's what they were. You know, um, so it's like, you know, it's, yeah, it's so much that's, that goes on that people don't really, they don't really care. A lot of people may don't, not even care, but the thing about this COVID um, thing is that the whole world for the last year has been living this experience that we've been living for so long. Like right. being forced to stay inside your house, being forced to isolate yourself, to to feel like, yo, I can't go near that person. That person may give me something. That's how people feel about me sometimes. Well, even though I like this dude and I believe in him, but I can't really align myself with him because if I do, either I, you know, I could lose maybe the potential to to get in to get a promotion or to be advanced in some way. You see what I'm saying? Because of the type of case that he has. Or mm-hmm. he's just locked up, and you know what? Like what woman? You know what I'm saying? Like you don't want to deal with a lot of women. Like sisters don't want to deal with dudes that's locked up. Um, and and I understand it because we're not there to do the basic things that we should be. We're not there protecting. We're not really there. So in some instances, you know, taking care of our women. But like I said, since I just you know, it's it's yeah, it's it's terrible. It, it is so. It is so because until we really come to grips with what this really is and stop using you know euphemistic terms, this is not. Um, this is not justice, this is not prison, this is slavery. And this is slavery as a stage and into and a step into genocide. You know what I'm saying? It's always going on. And we have to really start learning how to love each other no matter what. Because one thing I can say that I've seen, I'm just being honest with you, like a lot of people uh, of the other colors, you know what I'm saying, down here, that their family, I don't care, they can be up in here for like, you know, raping kids, raping their little brother and sister. I've seen this. And they come through every week support their mm-hmm. people. You know what I'm saying? So we, yeah. we have to have that type of love for each other. And that's, like I said, that's, that's, that's that revolutionary love. And I say it's revolutionary because it's transformative. Even if you've got somebody that's out there that's doing stuff, you know, that's, that's what transforms a man. Everything that's good about me is the result of somebody pouring into me. I've been poured into by the Theosophical Society out of Pasadena. I've been poured into out of different church groups that come in here. I've been poured into, through, you know what I'm saying, uh, to my cousin, you know what I'm saying, Camille and Ray. You know what I'm saying? I've been poured into, through, you know what I'm saying, through my mother. I've been poured into, through, you know what I'm saying, through the ladies that I was involved in, through the lady I'm involved with now. You know what I'm saying? I've been poured into so many people. That is my link to my humanity is that love. And through what's not for that love, sister, I promise you, I would be a totally different person. I would be a fool, you know what I'm saying? I would be, I would be, I would be an animal, which is what this is designed to reduce us to. So it's just like I said, more than anything else, I salute love, man. And I thank people for love. And I just want, when I speak about the Jordans or whatever, you know, I don't hold them to a different standard. I don't, I don't believe in, um, I don't worship, you know, wealth or, or, um, or, or, or idolize celebrity. I have the genuine love I have for them is the genuine love I have for everybody, you know, and I just wish them the best, and I just want them to know that I've been fighting, you know, this fight the best way I can. You know, there's no playbook for this. You know, I came in here when I was 18, and before then I was in here when I was 16, sister. I don't have nothing. I don't have a formal education past eighth grade, you know, and everything that I've learned, I've had to learn it in here and get it on my own because these people are not trying to educate us. You see what I'm saying? Um, and so I just want these people to know that, like I said, you know, I really – uh, you know, I've said things in the past I wish I would not have said. I've written things down and filed it, not because it wasn't true, 
according to the understanding that was given to me. But, you know, there's a time and place for everything. And sometimes by just saying certain things, it empowers other people. It should not be empowered. And I've said things and written things down because I was just trying to say, man, somebody please help me. Can somebody just please look at this, what's going on? I'm doing everything I can do. I do I'm doing everything. We don't have law uh, libraries in North Carolina. So if you don't have money to, to buy books, you know, at, at one point you couldn't get, like, like basically everything that we ordered was some catalogs where the price markup was like 300%. So I may order a book that costs $40, but I got to pay $250 for the stuff. And then you get the book and it's not even something that can even help you. So it's like a ripoff, you know what I mean? So we mm-hmm. had to, like, that's what my daily existence is, is to try to get the knowledge. Then you got to apply the knowledge. Then you try to have to try to discern who's genuinely trying to help me, who's trying to take advantage of me or take advantage of this situation. Like, that's a constant thing. And I've been doing this right now for 30 years, and I could just say, you know, I thank the universe, you know what I'm saying? I like believe that I like believe that everything is God. I believe you're God, we're God, the trees is God, like we're one and the same. There's no to me there's no differentiation. And so I'm just thankful that like I said that for me to even have an opportunity to talk to y'all, like I said, when I talked to uh, Miss Radcliffe, you know, like I said, that lady reminded me so much of my grandmother because she was the same way my grandmother was ninety some years old and like I said, she had a farm and chickens and did her thing, you know what I mean, to the day that she died almost. And you have people that's young, 20 years old, and not doing nothing but on social media all day. You know what I mean? And they'll get it eventually, but you want them to get it before they lose, you know what I'm before they lose the, the opportunity to, to, to really maximize on their potential. Well, you clearly have, um, you know, you have very high integrity, and you, you know, you have a very high moral standard, for sure. I want to say how inspiring it is, really, and... Uh, something I, th- I hope that many of the listeners will be uh, taking away from this, uh, from this conversation. What would you like uh, for the listeners to, what would you like for them to take away from this and, um, and to look for uh, in terms of your, your case? And like you said, you're coming up for parole next year. Do you think you're going to get some pushback? Well, I think one thing I want to advocate, and this is something I want to advocate, you know, just universally, is, um, you know, because, like, over the last few years, you know, there have been calls to reform the police, um, to abolish the police. You know, I think the people, wherever they fall you know, fall on that question is that the Supreme Court says that the police has no duty to protect us, that the police have no legal duty to protect us, Um and so being that they have no duty to protect us, I think you really should ask, like, what are you doing in our communities then? You know, mm-hmm. like, why are you in our communities? Um, if you don't have, and a matter of fact, if I would tell your uh, listeners to look up Warren versus District of Columbia. Uh, that's one case. And then the other case, I think, is Castle Rock versus Gonzalez. And understand that we're dealing with people who don't have a duty to protect us. Okay. Um, and that... We only have one power as citizens. We only have one power, and that is jury, uh, jury nullification. And this is not, of course, this is not something that's going to help me, but that's not why I'm advocating it. But I want people to understand that as a juror, if you disagree with the law, if you disagree with the presentation of the case, you know, you have a right to say, okay, even if I believe that this person committed this crime, I don't believe this person should go to prison for 20 years for selling no crack or for selling heroin. 
therefore, I'm going to nullify this verdict. I'm going to say not guilty. Not because I didn't believe that he committed the crime, but because I believe that this law is, is that it's a wrong law. And as a juror, as a person who ultimately that type of power resides in, I'm commenting, I'm going to send a message. If you want to stop corrupt police from doing this stuff, and these people are sitting there watching, they knew these police people were lying when I went to court, that's how you do it. Because otherwise, what you're doing is that you're rewarding them. You cannot have a process where you're having somebody's life on the line and somebody is lying, and you still say, I'm going to convict this person. I'm going to convict him because, really, I just don't know. And these people, and, and, and I want to be a good citizen. That's the first thing that I would advocate. And I, that's something I would really love y'all sister, for y'all to do an article and just start that conversation. When it comes to my, my particular case, um, I just want, like I said, I want you know, anybody who may be interested, anybody who really, who's really for Michael Jordan. Because the thing is, is that don't think that this is like the end of, the, of, of uh, like anything. I want people to really just, just really just let this brother know, man, that like they're, they're behind him. That nothing that these people can say or put out or accuse him of is going to change the fundamental love that we have for him, for his family, you know what I'm saying, and, and, me, and for everybody in this situation. We've got to stop letting these people choose, pick and choose who our enemies are going to be or who our heroes are going to be. We have to do it on the basis of just saying, listen, man, we're human beings. We all make some type of mistakes. We've got to move in love. And like I said, you know, sister, I talk hard, but at the end of the day, this, it, it comes from love. You know what I'm saying? I love people enough that even if what I'm going to tell you is going to make you not want to deal with me, I would rather for you to not deal with me and at least have this reality that I'm giving you. I'm trying to give you a piece of a reality that can save your life, that can save your child's life. And if the consequence is that if you're stepping away from me and distancing yourself from me and your child goes on to not have to ever come inside of a prison, that's a good trade-off for me. You see what I'm saying? Like, we got to have that type of revolutionary love for each other. Because if we don't have that type of love for each other, if we don't get that type of love for each other, there's not going to be any black people in about 2,000 years, if it takes that long. We see what the hell is going on right now, even with this COVID virus. You see what I'm saying? So we have to really start, like, we have, I think that I just, I just want people to, more than anything else, I want people to know that, okay, this is what this man is going through. If you want a good way of understanding the system, you can look at my case. That is the only value that my case has to somebody out there that's not involved in my case. You know what I'm saying? Is that, is that you can study this case and you will see that there's a playbook. And this playbook is being used all over the world. And you got to think, if they can use this playbook and they can do this and fabricate evidence, you know what I mean, in broad daylight, in a high-profile case, right after O.J. Simpson went to trial, and that was a public trial, you see what I'm saying? If they could do that under them circumstances, what do you think happens when one of your brothers get locked up? You see what I'm saying? And, and, and instead of you really putting all your support behind him, you say, well, brother, man, you know you shouldn't have been down there and did that. You know what I'm saying? You should have been with us. So what? If you're not guilty of the crime that you accused of doing, so what? If that you was hanging around the wrong person. You see what I'm saying? Like, we got to stop putting conditions on our love. We gotta stop putting conditions on our love, and um, that's I guess that's just the most to me that's the most important thing. I just ask for people prayers, you know, well wishes, um, you know. I ask for any you know say any type of support, man. Somebody you know write me directly, you know. Um, my like my current address is 4600 Swamp Fox uh, Highway West Tabor City. That's T A B O R City, you know, North Carolina. 28463, you know, but it's easy to find on the internet. I'm not a hard brother to find. Anybody that's about anything positive or productive, 
anything that's trying to that's trying to make a positive change in this world, you know, I'm with it. I'm, you know, this is why you'll maximize your potential. You have 60 seconds remaining. So, like I said, sister, I, I, you know, I just thank y'all for everything. I really do. I appreciate it, sister. I appreciate you. I appreciate Malik. You know what I'm saying? I appreciate you know, Miss Ratcliffe, Mr. Ratcliffe, you know, down there, you know, the work y'all putting, all the brothers that's writing about this, just telling our stories. That's the most significant thing we can do. We tell our story for ourselves, and we create our own history. That's why our greatness is going to be, you know, it's, it's, it's like waiting for us. We have to define who we are for ourselves, you know, and I thank you. All right, thank you. You have 30 seconds remaining. Thank you, too. Um, it's so beautiful to be able to be in shared humanity with you and work for this, uh, yeah, black liberation and, and revolutionary love, transformational love. Thank you so much. Right, and you. we will. Um, and thank you for the connection on the book cover that came through. I made it tell you that. Thank you so much. Thank you. Oh. I talked to, talk to Biko. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. I'm happy thank to hear you. that. Okay. Thank All right. You so much. Stay strong. And, and we'll talk again, of course. All right. That is our show. I want to thank you for joining me here on Prison Focus Radio. Please visit the Malik Washington Defense Committee Facebook page and join us at the rally on March 7th, where we will be. Um, We want to get Malik home. We want to shut down GEO and we want to end the attack on black journalism. Also, visit California Prison Focus's website at prisons.org. Also, if you want to read that article and others, pick up the February issue of the SF Bayview or go to their website at sfbayview.com. Don't forget to call the governor, 916-445-2841. All right, get ready for Work Week with Steve Seltzer.